Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. This episode I'm taking us back down south to England. Uh, it's a very well-known case, however, shock, I hadn't heard of the full story before. This is the abduction of eight-year-old Sarah Payne. Caitlin, I'm guessing it's a, probably a yes, but have you heard of this one? <laughs> yes, I have heard from this one. I've actually watched wow. a few like programs on it. I think most people have probably seen the programs, you know, those like British most notorious crimes kind of thing. I think it's been on that, but it has been a while. I've actually never listened to a podcast about it. Oh, well then, tune in. Here we go. I'll just begin. Sarah Payne was born on the 13th of October 1991 in Surrey in England. Her father was called Michael and her mum, Sarah so we've got Sarah and Sarah if that just you know just to not confuse you now Sarah had three siblings and she was the third youngest she had two older brothers Lee and Luke and a younger sister called Charlotte on the 1st of July 2000 when Sarah was eight she went on a trip to West Sussex to visit her grandparents Terence and Leslie her dad's side of the family And she went with the rest of her family and they did this usually once a month or so. And it was July. It was a nice day. They didn't have any plans. So that's what they decided to do. Now, it was probably about an hour's drive away. They had a Sunday lunch. All was well. And after they decided to go down to the beach, apart from the gran, Leslie, she stayed at home. And the beach was practically on the doorstep. Think Portobello to beach ratio with those houses. Um, if you're from Edinburgh. Now, this is where all the children played. When there, Sarah's grandfather suggested to the other adults that they take a walk into the village to see a new house that his friend had just done up. Now, obviously, that sounds mega boring to all the children and they don't want to leave the beach because they're having a great time. Me personally, I would love to have a nosy, but if I was eight years old, then it sounds like the most grown-up boring adult thing ever. So I completely get where they were coming from. At the time, Lee was 13. Luke was 12. Sarah, she was eight. And Charlotte, six. The two boys knew their way around because with them being older, they had been allowed out to explore on their own close to the house over the last year or so. So they had known the area and, you know, it sounded pretty safe. Also remember, they're practically on the doorstep to the grandparents' house. So that's when the parents decided to make the decision that the kids could stay on the beach and play whilst they went to look at that house. What could possibly go wrong because they were in a group of four, they knew the way around, they were close to the house and if they ever did need anything they knew what to do. And really they're just kids playing innocently outside. The main reason for them allowing this though was due to Lee being 13 so he was put in charge and told to look after his younger siblings which he did. Whilst out on their walk they nipped into the pub for about 20 minutes before heading back to the house and this walk it was only about 10 minutes away it was in the village it wasn't you know miles and miles and when they arrived at the house the two boys and Charlotte were there and Leslie the granny was asking if they had Sarah with them. This confused them, as they they did not, and they assumed that Sarah would be with the others as they were just back from their walk. 
So jump back to when the adults leave the kids playing on the beach. After playing there for a while, they decided to then move to the cornfield around the back of their grandparents' house and play hide and seek. They were still all together and no one was left behind at the beach and they knew this this um, cornfield anyway. It wasn't like a new destination. During the time at the cornfield though, Sarah had fallen and she had a bit of a tantrum and didn't want to play hide and seek anymore because, you know, she had hurt herself and she wasn't getting the attention from her older brothers like she would have from her parents if she had fallen. And, you know, her brothers just practically said, well, you know, go home then or... It was none of this, oh, are you okay, sort of thing that she would have wanted. So she headed back to her granny's house. Lee, being the eldest and the one in charge, went after Sarah to follow her back to her granny's to make sure she got back safe, whilst he left Luke and Charlotte playing together in the field. Luke was only seconds behind Sarah on the walk back to the house and he could see her in his sights whilst they were going through the field. The only time Lee had taken his eye off of Sarah was when Charlotte had also fallen. So he looked back at her, her and Luke to make sure they were they were doing okay. When Lee turned back around, Sarah was out of his eye shot and gone. Lee thought she had made it back to the house before him as there was a gap in the hedge that he had to go through to get back to the house. So she must have run through there and quickly got to the house. When Lee entered his grandparents' house, he asked his gran, Leslie, if she she had seen Sarah and if she was back. Leslie had not. Not long after, Luke and Charlotte arrived back to the house, but Sarah was not with them. Initially, they thought she may have gone away in a huff as she had fallen. However, flash forward a few minutes to the parents coming home and still no sign of Sarah. Sarah was a timid wee girl and she wouldn't just go off and hide. It wasn't like her. In one interview, her mum said that she could hardly play hide and seek for a few minutes without coming out of her hiding space asking why she hadn't been found yet. Everyone started to look for Sarah right away. And after they had gotten the story from Lee about what had happened on the lead up to everyone coming back together into the house. Terry went to the beach. Michael searched the fields. Sarah ran down to the main drive, which is like a single track road that, you know, one car width, sorry, road. And Leslie stayed in the house in case Sarah came back. By 8pm, after searching and asking people around the area if they had seen her, to which no one had, this is when Sarah called the police. They had been searching for her for about an hour and 45 minutes believing that she was there somewhere and that she would jump out and, you know, shout boo once all the panic and all the fear had set in, kind of like kids do. You know, you start to panic and then they're they're literally just around the corner. The search for Sarah was made high priority in the area as she was eight-year-old. She was an eight-year-old missing girl. The police arrived at the house at 9pm and the family told them the events of the day from the very beginning to get them up to speed. The police then questioned the kids and this is when Lee said to his mum that he did see something but he wasn't sure whether or not to say anything. So his mum explained that he should tell them absolutely everything as they can decide if it is important or not. This is when Lee came out with the fact that he'd actually saw a car and a white van on the road next to the field and the man in the white van actually looked at Lee 
smiled and sped off. The police then think that this white van may have something to do with Sarah's disappearance and that she may have been abducted. The police carry on their searches of the area throughout the night, but there was unfortunately no sign of Sarah. As part of police procedure when it comes to missing children, they need to interview and check up on all sex offenders in the local area. I did not know this, but it makes complete sense for that to happen. Did you not know that? No, I didn't even think. Yeah, that's the thing. Common sense, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, it makes actually, yeah, it makes total sense. And like, I, I, I don't know, I feel like a bit controversial, but like, if someone is like out and is trying to get on with like their life, it, it, it's not a shame, but like they will have to be checked yeah. every single time. And I think it's definitely a brilliant place to start, but like, depending how big that ratio is, like, you know, if you're staying in like Edinburgh, yeah, like I think there's a lot of people probably, unfortunately, do you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but during this part of their investigation, they visited local paedophile, 41-year-old Roy Whiting, at his house. Now, quick side note, in 1995, five years earlier, Roy had abducted an eight-year-old girl just off the side of the road, only 25 miles away in Crawley, put her in his car and driven out to a wooded area where he sexually assaulted her. Before his sentencing, he was put through a load of psychological tests and the results were that he wasn't really a paedophile, it was more of a one-time event and he was very unlikely to re-offend. Roy received only four years in prison for this. But whilst in prison though, he underwent more tests and the results came out that he was in fact a paedophile and that he was more than likely to definitely re-offend. Still, he only served two and a half years of his four-year sentence. He was, oh yeah, you would think, or some awful thing. Now he was released, but he was put on the sex offenders register, and he moved to a seaside town near to where Sarah's grandparents lived. So he didn't live; he didn't move too far away from his original destination, and he went to a seaside town, which is obviously usually filled with a lot of children. Or a load of old people. It's like, you know, half and half. Now, back to the day of questioning in regards to Sarah's disappearance. Roy was acting suspicious and he clearly didn't like being questioned by the police as this was a very similar situation to what he had been in jail for. Now, I guess that's kind of like what you said, Caitlin. They're not going to like it. You know, they're on the register and they might have to get questioned all the time. So that part... Oh, totally. And, like, that's what I was meaning by that. Like, I hope it didn't come out the wrong way. But, like, if someone has committed a crime but it's been proven they're not going to re-offend and they're out, etc., I can completely understand if they're trying to get on and move on from their crimes. It must be quite difficult for both the police and them to have to keep getting questioned. But I think if someone has been told, like, they're definitely probably going to re-offend again, then... Absolutely, it should be checked. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, he gave the police an alibi for that day and said that he had actually been at Brighton Fun Fair that day alone. If that's not a bad enough reason for the police to be wary of him, then I don't know what is, because that's quite an awful alibi for a paedophile to have. Yeah, not ideal. No, it's not like, think of something better. Or, you know, do something better if this alibi is true. 
Now, the police had found him very suspicious throughout the whole of his questioning. However, they had nothing to go on to take it any further, so the questioning did have to come to an end. However, they were still uncomfortable with everything and they didn't want to just leave it there, so they waited outside his house in their car and watched the house. Within minutes of the police leaving, Roy came outside of his house and went straight to a white van that was parked on the street, which he had previously denied even owning to the police. He opened the door and a receipt fell out, which he didn't notice. This is just like, it's just so annoying. Like, obviously, like, I don't mean annoying, like, it's good that he'd done it and he messed up. But like, would you not think if the police have just been at your house to like, keep it cool for even like the rest of the day? Like, why would you yeah, wait an hour? I've just been here, accuse me of having a white van. I've said I don't have a white van. I better go and check my white van. Like, do you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? I'm just no like, Ugh. Yeah, just stupidity from this get-go. Now, the police went and quickly picked up their receipt and it turned out to be for a petrol station on the 1st of July, the day Sarah had went missing. The problem being was that this petrol station was nowhere near Brighton, which is where he said he was that day. So his alibi is slowly falling apart, albeit, yes, he could have got the petrol before or after being at the fair, but he's just too suspicious, you know? Now, this is when the police arrest Roy right away for this suspicion of abduction, where he was taken for further questioning at the police station, but he wasn't given anything away. During this time, Sarah's family were providing public appeals and this was spread all across the media and was all over the news, all over the UK and possibly, you know, the world. Now, over 500 police officers, family, friends and members of the public were searching for Sarah. One of the things that the family were told to do was have a bag ready for her in case she was found. Now, this meant that when they had found her, they'd be able to go straight to her and give her a bag of her things, fresh clothes, etc. Now, this was something positive to hold on to, as Sarah had now been missing for four days and nobody has been able to locate her as yet. Now, this is, you know, it's a positive thing to hold on to, but the police obviously we're preparing them for the worst case scenario as well yeah I was gonna say like that would be like really high hopes for the parents like they're probably thinking well that's really good to have something for her when she comes home like thinking that that is a possibility whereas with a lot of missing children cases like you're kind of told to brace yourself that that's not going to be a possibility yeah yeah so it was kind of they, they had that but they were also told look she could have been killed now jump to the 16th of July, 16 days after Sarah had first gone missing, the police had found the body of a little girl. There were no other little girls reported missing in the area at that time. And sadly, this was the end of the search. Sarah's body was found by a farmer over 25 miles away on his field as he had disturbed the patch of land where her body had been buried. DNA tests were shortly done and it was confirmed that this was eight-year-old Sarah Payne. Now, obviously, their parents had to go and, um, I forgot what it's called, but confirm that it was Sarah, which I believe the dad did. Um, identify. That's the word. <laughs> I had a brain. Like formally <laughs> identify. Yeah, they had to formally <laughs> identify the body. Obviously, they can't just say, oh, well, DNA says it's her. Um, which I believe the dad, her dad went and, um, you know, confirmed it all. 
as Zara felt, I'll do it, but you do it first. Um, however, the dad came out and was like, absolutely pale as anything. And that's when they decided, look, you don't need to go in and see her. You want to, you know, you want to keep the memories while of them being alive. Now, the official cause of death was strangulation, suffocation, or a combination of both. To this day, they don't have a confirmation of how, but it was one of one of those or both of them. It says that she would have had a quick death and not suffered. And there was no signs of sexual assault. There was no DNA, no evidence, no clues on or near her body that pointed directly to a killer. However, with the news of her body being found going public all over the place, this then prompted a member of the public to come forward. This lady had saw a little girl's shoe on her walk about a week previous, but had thought nothing of it as children lose their shoes all the time. But with Sarah's body being found only eight miles away from where this lady had saw the shoe, she went back to check it was still there and then contacted the police. This then prompted that whole area to be searched. Now, the main suspect, Roy Whiting, had been released and had went to live with his dad in Crawley whilst the investigation and searches were going on as he was a known offender in the area where Sarah had went missing, where he lived. However, news travels fast, as we all know, and vigilantes in Crawley start attacking his dad's house, throwing bricks through the windows and shouting abuse at him. This then makes Roy move out of the of the of the place and he sets up camp yes i mean a literal tent in a field not far from where he abducted the little girl in 1995 wow yeah now he then stole a car in the area and went off speeding down the wrong side of the road now the whole time he was out of police custody he was under police surveillance 24 7 so got caught stealing the car literally right away which resulted in a high-speed police chase this chase then ended when roy crashed into a parked car which you know i can understand i'd probably do the same where he was then arrested and taken into police custody he was held there for quite a time as they charged him with reckless driving whilst there the police decided to question him about sarah's murder whilst he was in custody being questioned this is when the police went to search the white van that he owned, which, remember, he denied owning at the very beginning. They only knew when they watched him go in and the receipt fell out. This is when they found out that he had only bought this white van only a few days before Sarah's disappearance. And this is a specific type of van which was used for moving furniture as you would put plywood in the back which would um, stop your furniture from getting scraped or damaged. And once you were done with the, the wood at the bottom, it allows you to pull it out. You can burn the wood, dispose of it however you wish, and then put fresh stuff in. So it was like Roy knew this. He bought this type of van on purpose, as it's much easier to get rid of evidence that way. Now, the van was completely searched, and all they managed to take away was one strand of blonde hair. Now, I'll jump back to the shoe that was found by the member of the public. This was obviously analysed and they found a fibre on it, which took a while to find a match for, but it turned out to be a match with fibres from Roy's clothes that were found in his van. And this is when, like, 
all of this DNA and, and evidence and all of these things that, you know, the investigators have to do, it just blows my mind that you can match a fibre to something like that. It's just crazy. Now, this is a straight connection to Roy Whiting and the murder of Sarah Payne. So the police officers go into his cell as he has been arrested and charged with two years for reckless driving and they arrest him for the murder of Sarah. In February 2001, Roy pled not guilty for all charges against him. So this led to another court hearing in November 2001, where he still pled not guilty. But all the evidence was pointing directly to him. The receipt, the van, the hair and the fibre. Roy's trial lasted 19 days and the jury found him guilty on all charges, which included the abduction and murder of Sarah Payne. Roy was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum of 50 years, which means he can look to possibly being allowed out from prison when he is 92. However, police believe he will never be granted parole. A quote from Sarah's mum at the press release once the sentencing had been completed. This doesn't make us happy, but justice has been done. Sarah can rest in peace now. But let's make sure that this stops happening time and time again. Now, Sarah Payne, which was Sarah's mum, soon campaigned for change, following the outrage and disbelief that she, her friends, family and pretty much the whole of the general public in the UK had when it came to the fact that this man was able to go about living his day, like his day-to-day -day life, pretending none of his previous convictions had happened without anyone knowing anything about it. Now, this is when Sarah's law was created. This law allows the general public to know when a sex offender has moved into their area. They can check the sex offender's register for certain areas to see how many there are in that one area so that you can make a decision on whether or not you feel it's safe to visit, move to, you know, anything like that. They managed to change the fact that the sex offender is registered within 72 hours and not four weeks like it previously was. Their name is shown, a photo is taken and that this photo may have to be taken every year as well as the possibility of their fingerprints having to be taken on a yearly basis. Now it's not, it's not always that it has to be done every single year as long as you've got them up on there already but there's always a possibility that the police will come and take your photo each year. I'm guessing it might just depend on how bad your charges are. Now Roy Whiting has been attacked in prison on a number of occasions throughout his sentence. One attack was with a razor on his right cheek which left a six inch scar and a different inmate years later stabbed him in the eye. Now both men are in for murder however they did not get any additional time added to their sentences for these attacks. Oh wow, that's really interesting. Did they have like life sentences already, do you think? Or that's what I was thinking. I couldn't see anything else on it, but I was like, Oh, well, you'd think they would have, unless the police were like, Oh well, you know, he deserved it. Who even knows? But I mean, possibly they had long enough sentences anyway. Now, Sarah's dad sadly passed away at the age of forty five due to an alcohol related death, as he sadly turned to the bottle following, you know, the awful loss of his daughter. Now, this is an awful crime, 
but again one that has managed to help the public in some way by generating a new law in the hopes to prevent what happened to Sarah happening to another children and other families having to go through the same thing kind of like the previous episode a few weeks ago was Claire's law you know awful crimes are coming out with you know a small positive but that is this case of Sarah Payne Caitlin yeah I completely get what you're saying as well just the bit about um the coming out with like positives like it is it's a hard way to like word it because obviously it's not positive what's happened and it's horrible we've had to even get to this I think if a positive thing can come of it, then it's not a life completely wasted. 